Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've got some big news. I've just launched EerieCast Plus. Now you can finally support your favorite shows while enjoying ad-free episodes, all for about three bucks a month. Go to EerieCast.com plus to sign up or click the link in the show notes and you'll get a 14-day free trial and you can cancel anytime. That includes all current EerieCast shows such as Unexplained Encounters, Freaky Folklore, and Redwood Bureau. Keep in mind you may still hear host red sponsorships because I haven't found an easy way to remove them just yet. Also, if you're a patron on the Darkness Prevails Patreon, check your messages. I've sent you all a three-month membership of EerieCast Plus for free. Remember, that's EerieCast.com plus. There are monsters out there that even the Vikings feared. Today on Unexplained Encounters, I've got some allegedly real sightings of mysterious creatures found in Scandinavian countries, as well as some very creepy Native American reservation stories. Enjoy. If you want us to narrate your allegedly true story of the unexplained, send it to us at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. Possible Skinwalker in My Neighborhood from Soviet Onion. I believe I've seen this potential skinwalker many times, and I've asked a lot of people in my area about it. I live less than a mile away from a Native American reservation, and I've talked with the locals briefly about what we might be seeing here. Be warned as the story has some violence towards animals. I live in a town near Phoenix, Arizona, it's small, but there is many mountainous areas right by my house. I've lived here about 1.5 years, and I've heard many people mention that a coyote likes to dig through garbage cans, eat out of the local McDonald's dumpsters, walk through the drain pipes, and supposedly lives in a small park nearby. At first, I thought it was really cool to live so close to the wildlife like this, since I thought we'd only see rabbits and the occasional scorpion. One night, I was taking a walk by myself around said park. I had brought a flashlight to watch four scorpions on the sidewalk when I heard someone whisper my name. I whipped right around and looked all over the place, but I was the only one in the park. It freaked me out. I started to walk faster, thinking someone might have been following me. I then felt a very cold breeze wash over my skin. I ignored it, thinking it was just the breeze that comes off the mountains on occasion. That's when I saw the coyote that everyone's been talking about. It was standing on its back legs, digging through one of the public trash cans. 
I froze. Not only was this the first time I'd ever been so close to a coyote that wasn't in a zoo, but the fur on its back made it look as if it had gotten into a fight with a larger predator. Patches were missing and covered in what looked to be dried blood. Figuring if the coyote had won a battle with whatever it had come up against, I slowly backed away and I started to run home. I wouldn't see it again until a month later. My neighbor has an outdoor cat named Marty. Marty likes to pee on people's porches, so my mother set up a frequency alarm on the front and back side of our house. The frequency is one that only cats and other animals can hear and hopes it would scare them away. It also has a red light on the front that will blink rapidly if something is close by, sort of like a motion detector. One night I heard a screech coming from outside my house. My room is in the front and if my curtains aren't closed, I can see the frequency alarm blink when it senses motion. I got out of bed and moved the curtain to see the red light flashing very fast, but I couldn't see anything in the street. Even so, the light was blinking, so I knew something was outside. The following morning, my mother was talking with one of my neighbors outside on the porch. I came out asking what was wrong. My neighbor had said that Marty came home last night missing an ear and had patches of fur missing from his tail. She kept going on, saying the local coyote must be attacking outdoor cats now. I thought that maybe the screech I'd heard last night was Marty. I wasn't sure since my cats would have probably lost their crap if they heard another cat at all. Whenever Marty came up to the driveway, my cats would growl and hiss at him. I didn't say a word about the screech I heard. A few days later, I went on another walk, staying just on the edge of the park since there was a sidewalk. I was still terrified of that coyote. I came to the unlit part of the park, and I pointed my flashlight into the brush. However, bouncing back from my flashlight beam were two orange eyes staring directly at me. I immediately moved my flashlight and pointed it at the ground, telling myself I was just freaking myself out. I lifted my flashlight up again at the same spot, and the eyes were gone. I told myself I imagined it until I was heading back home. I decided to take the sidewalk that was right next to one of the main roads, the most lit one. A side note, for drainage purposes, the city had built a very deep ditch along the right side of this sidewalk. Since Arizona gets some very bad monsoons, the ditch gets to about 20 feet up at its lowest point. The part directly behind my house is only about 5 feet deep, with a retaining wall ending my backyard. Anyway, I was walking past the deepest part of the ditch, where the drainage pipes end, when I heard it again, someone whispering my name. Jin, come here. I heard it coming from the ditch, and I thought to myself, there's no way that came from down there. It's 20 feet deep. I figured it wasn't anything, and I was just freaking out about those orange eyes. So, being an idiot, I walked over to the edge of the ditch, and I looked down. I almost threw up from what I saw. The coyote was tearing into a cat. I had no idea whether it was Marty or not because I could barely tell it was a cat. I'm still not sure if it was. I thought to myself at first that the coyote is a predator, and I suppose this is normal. 
The ditch is surrounded by small gray rocks, and I was shaking, and I accidentally slipped a bit, trying to get a better look, without having to point my flashlight directly at it. A few small rocks tumbled into the ditch, and that coyote whipped its head around, showing its face to me. I wanted to run and cry at the same time. I had no idea what I was looking at. The coyote was missing its lower jaw completely, and its fur looked as if someone had placed a coyote pelt over a person. It stared directly at me with big orange eyes. I choked, frozen in place. I knew if I moved, I'd be the next victim in that ditch. What it did next fully proved to me it wasn't a coyote. It cocked its head to the side and rotated its head 180 degrees to get a better look at me. I swear I could hear bones cracking and popping out of place as it did so. I thought to myself, there's no way it should be able to do that. Then, its body rotated to join the head. I couldn't stop myself. I bolted out of there. I couldn't watch anymore without throwing up. As I ran away, I heard it crawl out of that ditch, stumbling since the small rocks were all over the sides. It began to run on all fours down the sidewalk after me. I didn't dare look behind me. I just kept running. Like I said, this was one of the busiest roads in the town, and I soon spotted a car's headlights coming to turn down the road I was heading straight towards. I then screamed for help. The next thing I knew, I was in my bed. I sat straight up and asked my mom, what happened last night? All she told me was, you came home from a walk with our neighbor Susie, who offered to drive you home since you were really tired. I calmed down a bit and got dressed. I told my mom I was heading to Susie's house to thank her, since I thought I forgot to last night. Susie's house was only a few houses down. I could see the car I'd seen last night and had yelled at. The car had a very large dent on the passenger side door. I rang Susie's doorbell. She answered and looked around wildly outside before letting me in. She was shaking. She asked me, What the heck was that last night? What was that? I shook my head. I, I don't know myself. She replied, I saw that thing running at you on four legs but as soon as you climbed in the car, it stood up on two legs and threw itself at the door. I, I just stepped on the gas and got you back home and I didn't see it after that. I told her what had happened to me. She told me she was going to install a security system around her home after that. She was just as freaked out about it as I was, and we swore never to tell anyone in the neighborhood so that they wouldn't freak out too. I didn't see it for a while until I began to hear stories from my neighbors about the local coyote eating out of trash cans again. And unfortunately, someone had found their dad cat's body completely torn up in the ditch where I'd seen it. There were also reports of strangely active wolves around the mountainside. People were warned to stay away from the mountain after sunset. The reason I've decided to finally tell this story is because I saw it again yesterday. I was at a streetlight near my house on the main road and I saw it dash across in front of my car. Its back legs were bent the wrong way and still, its lower jaw appeared to be missing. It freaked me out so bad that I wanted to warn at least someone. 
I tried telling my neighbors to just watch out for the coyote, but they only believed me to keep their cats indoors for the night. I haven't seen Marty in a while, and my neighbor refuses to tell us what happened to him. So, if you live near South Mountain in Phoenix, Arizona, keep your pets inside during the night, and don't go out at night without protection, because there might be a skinwalker in the area. If anybody has seen this coyote, I'd love to hear your encounter. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. South Dakota Sasquatch from C. Philly 100. This story is told from the perspective of my friend. Being half native and half African American presents a unique set of challenges living in America, but I feel truly blessed to have grown up and spent much of my life on the Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. Now, it's well known that native people tend to have more of these types of encounters than most, and Sasquatch are no exception. Many native people regard Sasquatch as relatives of sorts, distant cousins or something to that extent, and that is not an insult, quite the opposite really. Sasquatch are masters of survival, masters of camouflage, apex hunters, and excellent foragers. They love their family members like we do. They engage in trade and barter like we do. They enjoy good food like we do. And they even like to dance to good music play games, and have complex emotions like we do. Some people call them the missing link, but we see them more as relatives. Indeed, if you go into certain areas where native people live, or used to live, and go out into the woods speaking the language of those people, chances are you'll get a better response than the white folks who go out into the woods hooting and hollering or knocking on trees, which are actually territorial indicators which may well provoke an aggressive response. One night I was walking home from my grandma's house, making my way through an abandoned compound 
when I stopped for a moment to relieve myself on some bushes. I zipped up and continued on my way when I heard something behind me. So I turned around and ducked behind some brush. I peered through the overgrowth to get a better look. At first, I couldn't see anything in the dim light, but gradually I could see something moving through the compound I'd just come through. It looked like a little orangutan or something of the sort. It was cautiously following the same exact path I had just taken, even sniffing the bushes I had just used to relieve myself. Now, this little guy was probably about four to five feet tall and covered from head to toe in light brown fur. Behind one of the structures in the compound was another one, this one at least 10 feet tall if not 15. It was keeping a mindful eye on the little one while periodically sniffing the air and looking around in an alert manner. And behind that one, back in the trees at the edge of the clearing was a third, and this one was even taller still, its head reaching at least halfway up the lodgepole pine tree it was standing next to. The little one was still sniffing, but slowly making its way toward where I was, still crouching in the brush. So I slowly backed away and exited the area as quickly and quietly as possible. I'm not sure if they heard me or not, but I didn't see them again that night, or ever. That's my quick story. I think it stands out simply due to the sheer size and height of these things. They were huge. It's my understanding that there is almost as much variation to Sasquatch as humans, that they have tribes and regional groups with different physical characteristics and dispositions, much like the First Nations people of this great land. Creatures from a Northern Reservation From Anon X I grew up on a reservation that's located within mountainous terrain. I won't be giving specifics in terms of names because amongst indigenous people, it's frowned upon to mention the other beings that live and have lived amongst us. As a matter of fact, it's so frowned upon that we don't even have names for them. To talk about them is to draw them closer to you and to begin experiencing them. The stories that follow will be a collection of stories from the creepiest time of year for us there, the winter. You've got to understand that the woods are home to not only those ordinary little critters that are found anywhere. There are things there, respectfully, that are truly the stuff of nightmares. I never had a personal experience, nor did my family, until I was a freshman in high school. Maybe they knew better than to bring these experiences around for me as I was the youngest of the family and sensitive, or maybe we never truly experienced as a family. Now, the things our family, friends, and neighbors have seen aren't your stereotypical wendigos or skinwalkers. The nighttime brought two rules we had to live by, no matter what family you come from. After dark, you're not to look outside or be outside. One night, my brother snuck out of the house to meet a girl who lived nearby. Teenage stuff if you catch my drift. Fast forward to the later hours of the night, he was sneaking back through his window. As he was getting ready to pull himself in from the absolute darkness of the night, he heard my dog growling a few feet behind him. The dog we had at the time was from a known highly aggressive and territorial breed, but to hear him growling came as a surprise to my brother. He claimed to call out softly to the dog, but the dog was unresponsive to him. 
After a few moments, my brother slowly began walking toward the dog, and as he drew closer, the smallest glint of light hit my dog's face. As his face softly lit, my brother realized that the dog was not looking at him, but the area of roof right above his bedroom window. As he slowly turned and looked at the empty space, he began to recognize that heart-sinking feeling of being watched, along with the sounds of something sitting as though it was perched at the edge of the roof. The more time went by, the more dread he felt. He was so scared that he rushed through his window into our mother, panicking and telling her what he did and what was going on. She was so scared she wasn't even bothered by the fact he had snuck out. I remember watching and listening from my bedroom door, seeing her turn pale and beginning to shake. She warned him to never do it again and to keep his window closed. It was from that moment forward that not only our neighbors, but people from the complete opposite side of the community began opening up about their experiences with the thing that walks among the roofs at night. One of these stories includes a close relative who was home alone with an aunt one night. She claimed to begin hearing something clawing and walking on the roof. When she noticed it, she said it was like it noticed her or knew she was there because when she tried to find a room to shield herself in, the footsteps followed right above. Imagine your own ceiling is made of glass, and this being always knows exactly where your foot is falling and the exact moment you extend your foot out for another step. The only way she was able to escape it was by standing in a doorway in which a blessed cross hung. That aunt began praying from her Bible. It wasn't until I reached my 20s that I would personally begin experiencing this creature on a weekly, yes weekly, I'm not exaggerating, basis. It was like clockwork once snow began to fall. There would be heavy footsteps before the sun was up that woke me up around 5am at least once a week. Those footsteps seemed to change on occasion. Sometimes it was like a grown man in still-toed boots running around. Other times a small infant doing its best to crawl as fast as its tiny body would allow, and other times it would sound like chains dragging. I was so desperate for sleep and to not be bothered that I began to put holy water on my ceiling weekly, but it seemed to only hold off whatever this thing was for a few days before it came back again. Unlike my relative who found sanctuary under that small wooden cross, this creature seemed to make my childhood home its favorite place to be at 5am once a week. As time went by, not only my direct neighbor but the residents who lived several houses away would tell my family about their experiences with the thing. One neighbor was simply sitting in his living room when he began to hear walking above him. It left him paralyzed with fear and all he could do was sit and stare in horror at the area above him. Another friend who lived three houses down was taking out her trash when she began to hear walking right above her doorway. She was so scared, she ran inside and refused to be out at night for months. But the list goes on with the small stories we've been told. Like the rest of the animals looking to escape the frigid temperatures of winter in the mountains, the other beings migrate to warmer places as well. It's believed as well that the area our reservation was placed was a cursed place, 
and they had very little to do with it until they were forcibly colonized there. Now we knew why the amount of creatures we shouldn't ever wish to see, seek it out. They, along with deer, mountain lions, bears, coyotes, flee the harsh winter in the mountains surrounding our home. Another one of these creatures was something that could only be described by our people as a demon who took the form of a black cat. Luckily, I never had an encounter with this being, but someone close to me had, briefly. She, as well as the other kids in her area, were out riding bikes one weekend afternoon. She claimed that as they waited on one other kid to show up on the broken gravel road for the ride out, what she described as a large dog that was so black that no details were even recognizable on the body appeared. She said they all stood there, staring and trying to make out which neighborhood dog it possibly could have been. The more they looked at it, the more she said something wasn't right. It just stood there, watching them until they got freaked out enough to finally get a move on. It wasn't until I brought up this demon-like creature my people warned of that she got noticeably serious and almost on edge. She then opened up about this brief but strange encounter. I can go on and on about the amount of stories that left our friends, family, and neighbors shaken to the core for hours, but for now, I'll keep it at what seems to be the two most nightmarish creatures our people have continuously shared a space with since we were forced into colonization. Although this might interest people in seeking out these beings, I simply ask that no one actually take the time to. You never know what will want to follow you home. Make your home its home as well. My people had unfortunate circumstances that placed us on the one bit of land that we knew and still know was home to horrific, nightmarish, and cursed creatures. So trust me when I say, this is a horror you do not want to carry for the rest of your life. Nor is it a horror you only want to experience once. My own mental state is scarred enough. I want little to do with the night. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Possessed by an Evil Spirit From Nick P. I'm from New Mexico, and I'm also a Native American from a tribe located in the state. I won't name the tribe for privacy reasons, or say what part of the state I'm from. I'll start by saying that growing up on the reservation as a tribal member, you're exposed to a lot. Tribes tend to take their tradition very seriously and try to preserve it the best they can. Native tradition can be very rewarding and bring joy and happiness. However, there are things that happen that are not talked about on the res. It's no secret that there are people that are plain evil, and their intentions are to turn something that's pure into something wicked, or just flat out destroy it. We've all heard of skinwalkers and wendigos, evil beings and spirits that torment people or corrupt their mind with evil. As outrageous as those creatures seem to be, believe me when I say such things do exist. 
I've had run-ins on my reservation with dark entities, and I've heard plenty of stories from fellow tribal members or friends that have experienced similar things. For example, the things they experienced include unnatural whistling in the back hills of the reservation at night, or moving shadows in the trees, or arroyos that are black and misshapen, or owls that have an uncanny largeness to them that perch up in nearby trees watching your house all night long. But this story I'm about to share with you didn't happen to me or anyone I know. It happened on a Pueblo reservation here in New Mexico. I was in high school at the time of this incident. I went to a school where it was nothing but Native Americans, thus you had to have Native blood in you to attend this school. Going to this school, there was always rumors going around of sketchy things kids would see or hear on campus. Most of it was just that, a rumor, made up incidents to scare each other. But one day, what I thought was a rumor actually turned out to be true. While I was at school, I overheard a group of students talking about something gruesome that happened to someone. Did you hear what he did to the body? After he did that, he sat there with his face painted. I heard a girl say to her group of friends, What the heck? I thought. I didn't know who these students were talking about or what they meant by he sat there with his face painted. I continued on my way to class and before lunchtime, I had a partial understanding of what had happened after asking around for a bit. A young man from the Pueblo of Jemez had killed another young man in a very brutal way. As the lunch hour proceeded, I found out more information on what had happened. The man who had killed the other man were both friends. The man that committed the killing gutted his victim in a gruesome and satanic way, supposedly lighting candles around the body. There's no way this could be real, I thought. Yeah, maybe a man murdered another man, but in that type of fashion? And he did all that? Nah, it has to be just rumors. But when I got home, I found out all those gruesome details were real. There was no hiding it. It was all over the news. When something like a murder happens in New Mexico, especially one like this, you can guarantee it'll be on the news. I sat there in horror and disbelief as the newscaster spoke on the incident. A Jemez man is being held on murder charges for killing another man, 21-year-old Matthew Panama, on the Jemez Pueblo reservation late Saturday night. The rumors from school had turned out to be true. The man did kill his friend, he did gut him, and he did paint his face black and white, like he was trying to bring forth something evil in a satanic sacrificial ceremony of some sort. All of this was hard to take in. The incident not only shook the people of Jemez, but all the neighboring Pueblo communities as well. Weeks after the incident, information was still coming to light. Jemez Pueblo banned trick-or-treating that year. They also had the medicine men of the Pueblo perform a huge Pueblo-wide curing to get rid of any evil that was there. The reason they had to take such measures is because of the traditional beliefs they have. When an incident of this magnitude happens, the village must be cleansed. I don't blame them for taking such steps. They, as well as myself, believe this man was possessed by something that was pure evil, and it corrupted his mind. Some would compare it to the evil spirit of the Wendigo, or maybe something along the lines of a skinwalker. 
The Pueblos have their own names for those evil spirits, and I do believe one had gotten inside this man, or he was involved in black magic. But whatever the case may be, something sinister was definitely involved. Now, some of you might think I'm making this up or exaggerating on the details. I understand where you're coming from, because I enjoy listening to scary stories of the paranormal and such, and find myself doubting people's stories sometimes. But I can say with all honesty, this is true. And if you don't believe me, then check the description for a link to the article of the incident. Stalked in the Northern Woods From Joel W. The year was 2009. I was 19 years old and had just finished my formal education near Stockholm. I've always been fascinated by history. Our different ancient crafts and material handiwork in particular has a special place in my heart. This interest of mine had me traveling up north, up to the endlessly billowing seas of never-ending forests and deep valleys, to attend a folk high school. This school was pretty much like you'd imagine J.K. Rowling's Hogwarts, but for ancient crafts instead of magic. No matter how eerie this particular instance might have been, I still look back on my years in this place as some of the best years in my life. We did everything from fire making to herbalism, flint napping to bronze casting, iron making from ore that we dug up ourselves as well as forging said iron and steel into useful tools. Needless to say, I was in heaven. Barely a single day in two years felt wasted. It was the year that I found my element in the forge as a bladesmith. However, there came a day, just like so many other days, that I decided to take an evening stroll through the surrounding woods, up the path to the overlook of the valley in which the school was situated. By then, I had familiarized myself with the surroundings, and I breathed in the fresh air of the northern woods as I weaved between the bare pine trunks. The tall trees created this majestic hall of straight pillars with a dark green roof through which the still blue sky could be seen. You could see so far ahead and around since there wasn't anything taller than a blueberry bush on the ground. I followed the trail up and down a ridge before entering a small moor. A narrow path made of carefully joined planks made the walk across nice and effortless, and I very much enjoyed the earthy, fresh scent of moss and the wind that found its way over the damp bog. I was rewarded at the other end with a great patch of ripe red lingonberries and a small spring that sprung up from a rock face ahead. The water in these undisturbed places tastes truly amazing. Someone had left a handmade ladle made of a fir twig and some birch bark on a branch beside the spring. After a few cold and wonderfully refreshing gulps, I flushed the ladle in the running water and hung it back in its place. Everything was right in the world. Well, almost everything. Just an arm's length from the ladle branch, something had gotten stuck on a jumble of jagged twigs. It almost looked to be hanging beard moss, and I almost wrote it off as such, since it grows everywhere up in those deep woods. But something made me look closer. Among all the familiar scents of the forest, there was something else, something that sent a needle prick into the back of my mind a sensation that I could simply not immediately understand. Looking back, 
I now understand that what I felt was my old human instincts trying to make me aware of a danger that my modern mind simply would not register as a possibility. In front of me was a tuft of greenish-gray hair. It looked coarse and filthy, and I realized that what made me react was the smell it gave off. Trying to describe it is hard, because I'd never experienced anything like it, nor have I since. The closest I can think of is the scent of old urine in a subway corner mixed with a warm, slightly sweet smell. Now that I think about it, although there may not be that many of you who can relate, I have butchered a few roosters in my days. It was similar to the smell of fresh, warm innards. I probably don't need to tell you that this kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not a squeamish guy by any standard, but whatever this was, it had a repelling effect on my entire being. I gave the thing a wide berth and continued my walk up the hill ahead of me. This was the final stretch before arriving at the lookout. During the winter, this path up the ridge of the valley is nearly impossible to traverse, since it gets covered in waist-deep snow and slick patches of ice. However, this was just between summer and autumn, so the way was clear. The tall firs and pines slowly got shorter and shorter, and gradually mingled with yellowing birches and aspen. The forest canopy got lower and lower to the ground, and opened up slightly, so it lightened up a bit, even though the day was growing late. One thing that you'll notice about Sweden are the random boulders pretty much everywhere. Huge rocks that just sit there, without any obvious place of origin or explanation of how they got there. Back in the days of stories and folklore, these rocks were called giant's throws, or troll rocks. The implication was that giants or trolls had been throwing these rocks to fend off invaders, or to challenge rivals for territory. However, I knew in the back of my head that the random rock formations of Sweden mostly stand as a result of the fact that pretty much the entirety of the land once was covered in ice, which moved and shaped the ground into what we see today. While musing over these thoughts, I let my hand run across the coarse surface of one of the stone sentinels, feeling the residual warmth of the evening sun. Days were short in this place, and it was soon time to head back. I looked up ahead and saw the clean open sky of the lookout point. I must admit that I've never been in great shape, and my breath came heavy by the time I arrived at the top of the ridge. There, on the moss-covered plateau of stone, stood a small, lonely, and crooked pine, and under it, a simple wooden bench facing the valley below. Many had made their mark in the bench, and I wasn't going to pass my chance to leave a little memory. Every student of this school was pretty much expected to always carry a knife for various tasks, often knives that we'd made ourselves, so the process was somehow made even more special by that little detail. I believe that bench still stands there today. I sat down to enjoy the last rays of sunlight as it slowly sank behind the valley ridges. It was so clear that I could see Norway on the horizon. It was then that I took a deep breath. Expecting the fresh, clear air, my nose instinctively wrinkled as it was assaulted by a foreign odor. It took my brain a moment to register that it wasn't just a glitch of my senses, but something that persisted and gradually intensified. Up until that moment, 
My blood had been pumping from the walk up the incline. My head and ears had both been occupied by the rhythm and whispers of my heart and circulation. Now, however, it was like my instincts told me to sharpen my senses and be quiet. I was most certainly not the only thing that felt that way. Suddenly all the noises and calls of the forest let themselves be drowned out by gently whispering wind. What was a serene, beautiful, and safe place a second ago had turned into something threatening. I could feel the hairs on my arms stand up. Never in my life had I felt this exposed, this vulnerable. Never had I felt the pinpricks of being watched. This was an entirely new experience for me, and I didn't like it one bit. A bear, I thought, as my eyes darted from one corner of my periphery to the next. I didn't dare move my head. While on a hike, me and my class had been followed by a bear cub once. No matter how cute and adorable the situation might have been, we quickly marched to another location since we knew that Mama Bear wouldn't be far off and she'd probably prefer if we kept our distance. Bears are fairly common up in these parts, so it was possible that's what I was picking up on. To be fair, I'd never sniffed a bear before. As the moments passed by, I waited as if frozen on the spot for the feeling to pass. It didn't. On the contrary, the wind changed direction and started blowing from my left, from where I'd come just a few minutes earlier. The stench struck me, and I had to concentrate not to exclaim my disgust. Slowly, I let my head turn to the side. Darkness had begun to fall, and the colors began to bleed into one another, giving way to dusk. Shapes and forms shifted and quivered in the wind, and I started to truly regret coming out here so late. One of the shapes which I first thought was a stubby and bearded fir tree didn't move, however. It stood stock still. The rotten smell hung heavy in the air. I couldn't look away. As my gaze concentrated on this shape, a few variations started to manifest. It was difficult to make out, partly obscured behind the needled branches of other fir trees. But this is what I can remember from that moment. It was tall. Compared to the trees around it, it might just as well have been as big as 16 feet. One of the most striking features was the absence of a neck. Almost obelisk in shape, it seemed like it had long hair that hung down from its head and draped over its shoulders. In the middle of what must have been its face sat a gigantic misshapen nose. Behind the curtain of moss-like hair, two deep sockets of deeper darkness held one tiny glimmer of reflection each. The same moment my eyes met those expressionless points, I knew I'd made a big mistake. The shoulders of the thing began to rise, and I heard a deep, raspy intake of air. I saw its arms then, as they left their hanging position along its sides. They must have almost reached down to the ground. So grotesque and long they were. With a loud thump, it took one step forward and lifted its arms like a toddler that reaches for its favorite toy or snack. I didn't think, I didn't feel, I didn't care. I was up on my feet in the same instant. The next moment was a blur as I must have thrown myself down the steep slope of rock just in front of me. Too steep to walk up, but much more lenient towards a quick and tumultuous descent. Lucky enough for me, it was quite smooth, but I still got pretty beat up by the tumble. 
As soon as the slope started to level out, I got up on my feet. The right side of my hip, my right elbow, and my left ankle had taken the brunt of the fall. I limped forward as fast as my legs would carry me. I would later find out that my foot had been sprained and it still aches now and then, popping when I roll it around. But at that moment, I must have been high as a kite on adrenaline. I looked back up the ridge because you always look back, but that thing wasn't up there. This made me pick up my pace even more. By throwing myself down the slope, I'd taken a significant shortcut. The downside was I now had to run through untrodden terrain. My heart skipped a beat when I suddenly heard what sounded like two massive feet getting closer. I thought I could feel the vibrations in my teeth. I almost yelled out as I thundered through the blueberry bushes, between the pillars of pine, under the now black profiles of needled canopies, and finally saw the glimmering lights of the school buildings. Along with the coming footfalls and tremors in the earth came the raspy breathing from before. I forced myself to keep my gaze forward, tears escaping the corners of my eyes, just as much from exertion as from the absolute terror I felt. I flew over the ditch and ran across the road, passing the bus station, and into the school's entrance walk. That's when I realized how quiet it was. No footfall, no breathing, no birdsong, nothing. I turned and looked back, only to be greeted by the vast empty forest on the other side of the road. Upon losing the sense of absolute immediate danger, my ankle began to scream in pain. My breath came in short, deep gasps, and I fell on my backside where I stood. My body simply refused to move any further. When I looked up again and gazed into the dark, I realized it wasn't as empty as my oxygen-deprived brain made it out to be. There, a few steps into the forest, blending in with the trunks in the dark, stood the obelisk shape. I thought I still could see the large nose and sunken shark-like eyes in there. However, as soon as I started to make it out again, it seemed to fade, as if slowly gliding back into the dark, never releasing me from its stare. After a few more painful heartbeats, the sounds of late evening washed over my surroundings. It was as if a cold hand around my throat had been removed and I could breathe freely again. Well, not really. I still gasped after my neck-breaking sprint, but it felt as if the air around me was cleaner, richer. A friend of mine came out of one of the buildings and helped me up. I got my ankle looked after and I had a long, warm shower to ease my nerves before bed. This horrifying feeling never came over me again, and slowly I got confident enough to go back into the forest. But I'll never brave the dusk or night out there ever again. So the next time you hear of the old creatures out in the woods, take heed and listen. Be vigilant and try to avoid being out alone in the northern woods during dusk or night. There are trolls out there, and you may not be as lucky as I was that day. Take care. Full Moon Sleepover From Tear. Quick note, I think I narrated the story in the past. After someone on my subreddit asked where to find the narration, I couldn't locate it so I'm just going to re-narrate it here. Enjoy. 
My name is Tyr. My name might be a little strange. I live in Sweden, like in the most northern part of Sweden that doesn't have a lot of contact with the outside world. Of course, we have technology, but it was just very limited. This happened in the early 90s during my childhood. I lived in a small community out in the middle of the forest. I want to point out the fact that you could literally walk here for miles without seeing a single house. Our community was one of the only modern places you could find out there. I had a happy life. I lived with my mother, father, and two sisters, as well as a dog named Rufus in a small red house. We were happy. My parents loved each other, and my sisters didn't try to kill me. We had enough money to survive. It was all in all a very happy time of our lives. But one incident would change that. One thing would destroy our worryless world. There were about 20 small houses in our community back then. The population was mostly made up of old retired hunters or woodcutters, but there were some families with children too. There was Andreas, Mia, Eric, Anders, and Ingmar. Me, my sisters, and the rest of these children were all around the same age, maybe around 10 to 13. All of us were great friends, as there weren't exactly so many people to be friends with. We all went to the same school that was situated very far away from our community. So every day we'd sit underneath the trees and wait for the school bus, talking crap and eating candy like kids do. The girl that mostly talked with my two sisters, Mia, was a very nice person. She was often quite serious, but she'd always been a pretty gentle soul. When I, for example, had forgotten to do my homework, she would help me out so that I didn't fail. I think I had maybe a small crush on her too, but pretty much all the boys in our group did, so I didn't really bother to try to make her be my girlfriend or something like that. Overall, she wasn't someone that really stood out in a group. She was always just quiet and focused on what to do next. One Friday after school, we'd all decided to have a sleepover at Eric's house. Eric's house was probably the biggest in the community and the most isolated. We all brought pillows, pajamas, and tons of junk food and movies so we could stay up all night. At that age, we thought it was so cool to be up so late. Anyway, we arrived at the house and everything seemed normal. We were laughing and having a great time. Everyone seemed to be happy except for Mia. I remember all of us dancing when Mia stormed off to the bathroom. One of my sisters followed her and asked her if she was alright. She'd only given a weak yes as an answer to my sister when she sat down on the floor. My sister, weirded out, went back to the rest of us. We all just of course assumed maybe she was sick or sad about something maybe something to do with her parents. Then again, I'd met Mia's parents before, and they were really nice people. They'd even once planned a trip for all of our families to go to Norway whale watching. Going on such a big holiday was very nice of them, and very expensive. Maybe a little too nice, I guess. So maybe she was just feeling sick, I thought. Around 3pm, Mia began to get stranger. She began to stand on the side of the room, and her eyes seemed to change. They became almost white or silvery. She started to really creep us out. We asked her if she wanted to sit down with us, and that's when everything spiraled out of control. She screamed no. It was the highest I'd ever heard her scream, 
and I'd seen her before being bitten by a dog. Mia then just ran out of the door. We all chased after her. Mia ran out between the trees next to the house. It's really dark out during Swedish autumns, but we ran after her either way in only our pajamas. None of us understood what was happening to Mia. She acted berserk. She started screaming some gibberish while running. That was when I think that I began to notice something about Mia. She was probably the slowest person in our school. Not exactly fit, she was quite the opposite, a little chubby. But now when Mia ran between the pine trees, she was running faster than anyone could keep up with. I tried my best to, screaming at her with all my power, trying to get her to stop running. The rest of our friends had lagged behind now. After a while of trying to keep up with her, I saw Mia beginning to run on all fours. She was now faster than before. Despite the speed, I kept running. I think this went on for about an hour, before I was finally running out of breath. I was in pretty good shape myself back then. But at that point, I just wanted to stop. I wanted to try to make sense of everything, like the weird stuff Mia was spouting. Just when I thought I was about to pass out from exhaustion, Mia stopped. At last, she finally slowed down. She just stood still there with the moonlight touching her face. I screamed at her in anger. Why are you running away from us, you idiot? But she didn't respond. She just stood there with her gaze on the moon. I remember it being a beautiful yellow full moon night. Then Mia began to walk up a little hill. There, she just stood for several minutes, her back turned towards me. I was really starting to get scared now. The forest was dark, and this was the time of year when wolves were most active. My friends had now finally caught up to us. We all just stared at Mia, who stood completely motionless, like a statue on top of that moonlit hill. Eventually, she turned around, looking out into the darkness of the trees behind us. I swear then my heart stopped. It's hard to describe the following events. I remember my friends and I beginning to lift off the ground with sticks and moss. We panicked and screamed for Mia to help us, but she stood there, seemingly unaffected. It was as if she couldn't hear our cries. Then something else happens that haunts me to this day. Behind Mia, a creature or person stood completely still. It was much taller than her, and very pale, as if the creature hadn't seen the sun for years. Eventually, this person moved towards her, standing next to her. Now I could see it in detail. It looked human, but it was very skinny and had long black hair that covered the creature's front. This creature was definitely female. It had an hourglass figure and breasts. Still, it wasn't a pretty sight. While the face looked very human, it had these very large black eyes that just stared at us. I had no idea what this thing was. Then, the creature turned around, showing us its back. I expected to see a thin skeletal frame with the spine poking through, but instead, there was a big hole on her back, like something you would see on a very old tree. I'll note here that I immediately thought that I knew what this old creature was. In Swedish mythology, we have something called raw. 
They're some sort of protectors of the forest that take on the shape of beautiful women to lure men out into the woods to never be seen again. The raw's most notable feature, except its beauty, was that it had a hole in its back. However, this thing looked anything but beautiful. Not long after, it turned around, revealing its back to us. Both it and Mia disappeared. Afterwards, we all fell to the ground. None of us wanted to stay there, so we just ran the fastest we could out of there. I don't think I've ever in my life ran as fast as I did then. I just wanted to run all the way home, and so I did with my sisters. Back at our home, my sisters and I looked at each other. None of us told our parents what happened that night. We just went to bed, seemingly in shock, pretending that nothing had happened, though I'm sure none of us actually slept that night. The weekend after, everything seemed normal. We went to school, but we all just kept quiet about the story. And yeah, Mia was there. She'd apparently forgotten everything about the sleepover. I think that she maybe had just pulled a sick prank on all of us, but I wasn't convinced. Well, after a while, we all sort of stopped being friends. I, who had been happy with everything before, had begun to get huge psychological problems. I began to doubt what was real and what was fiction. This destroyed many years with my family. My illness began getting better. I moved to a big city to study with my sisters and we all just wanted to stick together. After living there for many years, we found Mia on Facebook. It was my oldest sister that found her. She lived not so far from us, actually, so we decided to meet up with her after all these years. We decided on where in town to meet. Mia would meet us at our favorite lunch place in town. I guess I thought we could sit down and talk and clear some things up between us, but that's not really how it turned out. Mia walked in through the door with another woman. She introduced us to her girlfriend. Her girlfriend seemed normal, except for the fact that I thought I recognized her. And eventually it hit me. Mia's girlfriend looked exactly like the creature we'd seen with her that night when we were kids, if she was all cleaned up and more human looking. The rest of the meetup was as normal as it could be some small talk about what we studied and how our families were. But the face of that woman, it still haunts me. Both my sisters and I are okay today. I will never go back into the forest, and I probably won't let my kids go out to the woods alone either. Midnight Wake-Up Call From Sparkling Sea Cucumber I was born and raised in Sweden, but both my parents are from different parts of Finland. All relatives on my father's side originally came from a small village close to Vasa. It's a small village where everyone knows each other, and basically everyone is related in some form or another. In those parts of Finland, the population speaks Swedish, as well as learning Finnish in school. When I was a kid, we often visited my grandparents on my father's side during summer vacation, Easter, or Christmas. I have many fond memories from that time, but there were moments where I was truly frightened. As a kid, I was really scared of the dark, ghosts, aliens, murder dolls, and spiders. I often had frightening dreams where it felt as if I was awake, 
but I was in fact dreaming. I could lie there in the dark and see how shadows moved, or imagine my bed filled with spiders. I had dreams where I heard footsteps, loud mumbling whispers, or felt as if the bed had moved. I sometimes saw objects move or pictures becoming warped. I could also move freely, so it wasn't a form of sleep paralysis. These dreams usually happened when I was scared and stressed while being sleep deprived. That being said, my sister and I have been through some weird stuff that we can't fully explain. Those things happened when we were both wide awake. Some of these things have been second nature while others stick out more. It could happen at home or when we were visiting our grandparents, as well as our mom. With all that in mind, the story begins as me, my father, and younger sister arrived in Finland. Dad was driving the whole way from the harbor. I believe it was late autumn, but it's hard to be sure since my memory is pretty hazy and our frequent travels blended together at times. But I know it was getting darker, and summers in northern Sweden as well as Finland are very bright until autumn. We were tired, but had stuffed ourselves with candy as we usually did when we took the boat. I can't remember how old I was back then, maybe around 10 or 11 or a bit older. My sister was five years younger than me. As we finally drove down to the gravel walk to a red two-story house, there was a lamp lit in the window facing the road. Grandma had the habit of staying up and serving us with sandwiches and tea or hot chocolate while asking about the trip, while Grandpa usually kept snoring in the bedroom next to the kitchen. When we arrived, we were all pretty tired, but we stayed up for a little bit, talking and carrying in luggage. As we say goodnight, we took our luggage upstairs where there were three guest rooms. My sister and I slept in the second room while dad had the first room. I always picked the bed closest to the door for some reason and my sister took the other bed. After brushing our teeth and changing into pajamas, we went to sleep. As usual, I had a hard time sleeping. I kept thinking that some crawling ghost would be coming from the stairs, which was even scarier since I had full view of the staircase. I also began to think about murder dolls, since there was a Victorian-styled porcelain doll placed outside the room on the wall. My imagination was running wild. I was sweating, my pulse going crazy. It took me forever to calm down. Then I slowly started to drift off to sleep, when suddenly there was this loud scream. It sounded as if someone was screaming right into my ear, but it didn't sound human. It sounded unnatural and mechanical. It's hard to describe. I was so startled that I sat up in bed and noticed that my sister was also awake now. I even heard my dad and grandparents moving around in their rooms. We turned on the lamp and just looked at each other in disbelief. We were scared. We'd all heard it. What just happened and what was it? It didn't sound like something from outside. None of us had screamed. And even more disturbing, my grandpa, who was basically deaf when he took out his hearing aid, had heard the scream too. There were no intruders either. My dad blamed it on some malfunctioning wire or something else. My dad always blamed stuff on something else even though it didn't make sense. He was a skeptic. He claimed that the brain played tricks on people or he would just blame rats. But this, we were all hearing this sound and we all felt as if someone or something had screamed into our ears. We all woke at the same time. I'm not sure what the logical explanation would be, 
I had an even harder time relaxing after that. I kept wondering what kind of creature could do that, and if it was going to scream again. I don't know how long it took me to fall asleep, but I do remember waking up in the morning, and since that time, we never heard the scream again. Was it something natural? Supernatural? I have no idea. I wish it had been just one of my nightmares. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family, follow us on Spotify, and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember, this world is a strange one. So stay safe out there and stay creepy.